Man, you guys can have a seat. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. Man, I thought I was literally going to float out of the building on that last song. That was amazing. Um, hey, super excited to be with you guys this morning. This weekend is a big weekend for us as a church. Many of you know we have our men's Catalyst Retreat going on right now. Yep, God is at work for sure. I'm sure some of you moms in the room cannot wait to get your husband back if you have your husband there so they can help you with the kids and all that good stuff. Yeah, we got a few in the crowd. Awesome. Um, so because of that, uh, because of Catalyst, our senior pastor Rick is off and away. And so I have been called up from the minor leagues to be with you guys here this morning. Yes. And I am grateful, grateful to be here with you guys this morning. Um, and I figured, hey, this is probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right, with Rick not being here. I, I should probably do something, you know, that, that I couldn't normally do uh, on a normal Sunday morning. And, and we have a saying around here. Uh, it goes like this. When the senior pastor is away, the youth pastors will play. Um, I'm a kid. I actually made that up first service. But, but if you guys are okay with it, actually what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to take a selfie with everybody. And, and are you guys cool with that? Can we take a selfie real quick? This is just like a, it's like a bucket list thing for me. So just smile at the camera. That was painless, right? There we go. I'll post those later. You can check those out another time. But that was, that was totally just for me. Thank you guys for, for allowing me to do that. Hey, so we've been in this uh, series titled, Where is God Today? Right, it's a question we all ask. Uh, you may be asking it this morning. You may have asked it at some point in your life. Uh, but it's one that we all need the answer to, right? Like, where is he? Is he here? Is he, is he somewhere else? Um, and there's a couple core passages that we've been, uh, that we've been using um, uh, through this that we, I would highly encourage you guys to, to memorize. First one is Colossians 1.15, right? It says that, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And the truth behind that is, man, we can, we can look at Jesus, his life and his ministry, and like, we can get a full picture of who God is from Jesus. That's really cool. Um, Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus um, was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? This characteristic of God that he never changes, which uh, if, if he was bound by time, then he wouldn't be God. And so that, that's a pretty profound truth um, in and of itself. And so what we've done is we've been walking through the book of John, and we've just been reading the words of Jesus and the life and ministry of Jesus to really um, try and find the answer to that question. Because if, if, we can, if we can catch a snapshot of who Jesus was 2,000 years ago, then what the Bible says is, man, that's, that remains to be true today. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into that. Um, I don't have a whole lot to add to the conversation as far as that goes, so we're going we're gonna to hug tightly to the Word of God this morning and, and read that together and see what God would teach us from that. And so we're going to be in John chapter 15. Um, this is a, a, a very uh, profound passage of scripture. Maybe some of you are, are really familiar with it, but let me set the stage for you um, on what we're about to read. Really, the last couple weeks, we, we've been in this, this historical marker of Jesus' life where he's actually spending some of the last moments that he's going to have with his, his best friends, his 12 disciples, before he's taken off and crucified um, for the sin of the world. And so uh, you can kind of uh, feel a little bit of the weightiness of some of the things that he's going to say in this, and then we can kind of take notice to that because these are kind of some of those uh, most intimate last moments before he's going to be taken away. And so as we read that, we can, we can keep that in mind. Um, so let's, let's just jump in. John chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, follow along as I read. It says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. 
And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Now, at first glance, that might not seem like a whole lot there, but um, what Jesus is saying is, is quite profound. I mean, to open up this, this statement, uh, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine. And, and Jesus has, has made a lot of these I am statements throughout the Gospels. And, and we can take notice of that because really what Jesus is doing on earth at this point is, is he's revealing himself to the world. Like he is, he's, he's showing the world that he's just not just this guy, he's actually God in the flesh. And that's what the Gospels are doing for us, is they're, they're revealing to us who Jesus is. So when Jesus says, I am, fill in the blank, like we need to take notice of that, we need to highlight and underline, we need to, to spend some time talking about that because um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, profoundness to that. Um, he, he said, I am many things, right? He said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? He's, he's all these, these grand statements of, of his identity, of who he is, that, that show that he is more than just some guy, right? And he says now to the disciples in some of these last moments, he says, I am the true grapevine, so what does that mean? Why, why would he choose then in one of these last I am statements to say that he is the grapevine? Um, I'm not smart enough to break it down for you. There are many, many people smarter than me, and we don't have enough time. But, but essentially, uh, if, if you were Jewish and you were hearing this being said back then, it would make a ton of sense for Jesus to say that. Um, because this imagery of a vine um, was something important to the culture. Um, and, and actually, God, his intent with his people, Israel... Uh, back in the Old Testament, was uh, to choose them as his choice vine to bear the fruit that would bless the world. Um, and so if you, if you read any of the Old Testament, you know that um, there's a little rebellion going on there with Israel. They don't quite follow through with everything they're supposed to. And, and really, they don't end up fulfilling their role as, as being that vine that bears this, this perfect fruit. And, and so Jesus saying in this moment to the Jews to his disciples, I am the, the true grapevine, I am the true vine. He's saying to them, like, hey, I'm the one who can bear that, that fruit that will bless the world. And ultimately, he's saying this. Jesus is making the profound statement that, that I am the one true source of life. I am the one true source of life. Nowhere else can it be found, Right? Now, the disciples know and we know there, there's, there's a lot of other offers waiting, right? I mean, there's, there's plenty of other things that we can, we can attach ourselves to and, and, and try and um, suck life out of and try and find purpose and, and, uh, and, and all those things. But what Jesus is telling the disciples, really on the eve of, of being taken away, that, hey, if you want to find life, then it's found in me. And he even tells them, hey, you know, you, you seem to get that message, but verse 4, um, there's, there's a very particular piece that I want us to catch onto and spend the bulk of our time this morning on is this, right? Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Uh, he uses the word remain uh, quite a bit in this chapter, and John uses it all through the book of John and actually in some of his other letters that he, he writes later in the New Testament. Um, so it's a pretty significant word that he uses to help convey 
the truth of God's word. Um, but he's saying, right, if, if you want to be fruitful, you must remain in me. You must allow my life to flow through you in order to be fruitful. And, and really, that's what we're all chasing after, right? We all want to be fruitful in whatever arena of life, as a parent, as a businessman, as a, a student, uh, you name it, right? We're all looking for that, right? We're all looking to be fruitful. And Jesus kind of gives the, the antidote, the, the remedy to how you can actually achieve that, and it's by remaining in him. And so that's what we're going to talk about. I want us to kind of talk about uh, what it looks like to remain in Jesus. And I think there's kind of three, three pieces to that puzzle that we can, that we can uncover. Um, so let's continue reading in verse 5 really quickly. It says this, uh, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's kind of painting this, this overall picture of, of the vine and, and, a, and a lot of the components of what comprise the vine. Right? So you've got the, the life that is Jesus, the vine, and then shooting off of that are the branches. And then what can come from the branches sourced by the vine is this, this fruit, this really sweet beneficial, great-tasting fruit. He's kind of given this overall picture. Well, how do you achieve that? It's by remaining in him. And so let's look at those three things as what, really what it means to remain in him. The first thing is this, right? To remain in Jesus is to believe, foundationally. To remain in Jesus is to believe. There has to come this, this place for each and every one of us to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's making a lot of statements. He's saying he's, a lot of people have a lot to say about who Jesus might be and all that stuff. And he's saying, well, here's who I am. Right, so there's got to come this place where, where you believe Jesus is who he says he is. Because other, otherwise, there's nothing really to hold on to. There's nothing really to hold on to. How, how many parents do we have in the building? Maybe you guys can, can relate to this. How, how many of you have parents in the building? Maybe that would be it. Okay, we got a lot. Okay, so at some point, we've all had parents. Um, uh, how many parenting kindergartners right now? Okay, um, if, you, if you have parented or you're parenting through that right now, here's, here's what I know to be true about kindergartners. There, there has to be um, this really, really crucial belief um, at the core of who they are because there's going to come a day, um, right, where the first day of kindergarten starts. And if you take your kindergartner to school on this particular day and you drop them off and, and there is any belief in them that you as a parent are not coming back to pick them up, it is not going to be a pretty day. Right? And you know this. If there's anything inside of them that says, wait, this feels weird. I'm used to staying at home with mom. I'm used to having snack at this time and all this stuff. Like, this feels weird. Wait a second. Maybe they pulled a fast one on me. They're not coming back. Like, if there's anything in that, then it's not going to go well, right? But if, you're, if your kindergartner believes, right, that you're coming back, they have no problem with school. Actually, a lot of them really enjoy it. Get to meet friends, enjoy all the activities, nap time, all that good stuff, right? But if it comes from this belief, right, the confidence that they have in going to school comes from this belief that mom and dad are coming back at the end of the day and that you're going to get to pick them up and you're going to get to resume the rest of the day. And it's no different. Jesus is, is, is laying out something. That's, that's built into us, into our DNA, Right? And Jesus knows that when he says this, when he talks about this idea of remaining. For, for his 12 closest disciples, when he leaves the earth, if they're going to continue to be about making an impact for God's kingdom, 
then they have to be remaining in him. And that starts with this core belief that Jesus is who he says he was. Now, uh, what we know, too, about this time in history, right, Jesus has already started to, to tell them, hey, guess what, guys? I'm not going to be here with you forever. And he starts to kind of ease them into the idea that, that he's going to be bearing the sin of the world, and he's eventually going to be crucified and leave the earth. And that's a scary thought for the disciples, because all they've known over the last three years is, man, I got Jesus right by my side. Like, he's like literally the vine. I mean, like, I'm right next to him. And that's a pretty secure feeling. And so at the core of their belief, they've got to believe Jesus is who he says he is. Not, not while Jesus is standing next to them, but when he leaves. And Jesus knows that as soon as he leaves, that the temptation is going to be to say, oh, man, maybe we had this all wrong. Maybe we were following the wrong guy. You weren't supposed to die. And so he presses into them this idea of remaining. And that core foundational piece is, is believing, believing with everything in you. He goes on to, to, to say in verse 6 this, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. Right, he kind of paints this distinction between uh, this life-flowing vine straight into the branch that produces this fruit to, to this branch that has been severed from the vine and has no life dwelling inside of it at all, and it really just needs to be disposed of because it's not worth anything anymore. He's kind of painting this, this drastic picture of the life of the believer that remains in Jesus and the one that doesn't. And to remain in Jesus is this, I think the second piece, is to hold tight. To remain in Jesus is to hold tight. Because here's the reality about believing, right? There comes this time and place where we put our full faith and trust in Jesus in one moment, but, but then every single day, we continue to put our faith and trust and believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And we have to hold tight to that, because there are plenty of things that are looking to sever that uh, security between us and Jesus. Plenty of things. I mean, the list could go on and on. Tragedy. Um, Loss of work, um, death, the list goes on and on of the things that, that Satan could try and use to um, loosen our grip on the things that we hold true to. I, do we have any sports fans in the building? Sports fans? Okay, so you're like me. Um, I'll pretty much anything sports. It's good. I'll take it, any of it. Um, I don't consider myself to be a huge NBA fan, but I try and keep up with it as much as I can. I'll watch the Rockets if I get the chance. Um, or I'll at least track the scores and see how they're doing. Hasn't been a great year, um, but I'll, I'll follow it a little bit. Um, there's a, a guy in the NBA. He's, he's an assistant coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's a guy named Monty Williams, who, uh, to be honest, didn't know a whole lot about until this week. Um, I know previously, last season, he was the head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. He actually led them to the playoffs for the first time in a few years, and then they fired him. I don't really get that logic, but that, that, I guess it works for them. Um, but the reason why I bring up Monty Williams to you is because he's been uh, in the headlines this week. Um, earlier this week, uh, while he was actually coaching, uh, his wife was hit by an oncoming car traveling way too fast and was killed in a car accident. And it was a, an incredibly uh, tragic and unexpected accident that took her life. Um, and Monty Williams, uh, I saw just 
uh, flying through a feed of something a couple days ago, uh, an eight-minute clip of the eulogy that he gave at his wife's funeral. Um, And I can't even begin to comprehend or understand um, the pain uh, or the feelings that might be going through uh, somebody who finds themselves in that situation. And you may be able to relate um, in your own way. Um, But I can only imagine the hurt and the pain um, and the deep wounds uh, that could come from uh, something that shouldn't have happened. Um, But as I watched this eight-minute clip of Monty Williams giving the eulogy at his wife's funeral, I couldn't help but get this picture of a man who was so tightly and deeply rooted into Jesus as his Savior and as his all, as his one true source of life, that as he spoke, it was profound to hear that uh, it didn't take the pain away, it didn't take the, the thoughts of the long journey for him and his five kids But to hear him talk of the goodness of God, despite tragedy, gave me this visual image of what I've been reading all week, of what it looks like to really believe that Jesus is the the true vine, and then to to really position my life to be a branch that has, has his life flowing through it, and that actually produces fruit. And I just watched this man speak, and I thought, in what faith it takes like, how, how near to God do you have to be to be able to speak that way? And it was just this profound picture. And I, and I share that story with you to, to just give some, some, some tangibility to, to what Jesus is talking about. Because that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. He knows these 12 disciples are literally about to step into chaos when he ascends into heaven. And the easy thing to do would be to just give And the easy thing for Monty Williams to be would be to feel sorry for himself and give up. But instead, he knows there's so much more. And he has the life of Jesus flowing through him as a branch attached to the vine. Incredibly profound. For me, there's there's really only one way that that I even see that possible. Because like I said, this is a daily reminder of believing that God is who he says he is, right? Uh, for a guy like Monty Williams, I can't help but think how, how deeply rooted he is in God's word and how much time he has spent in prayer to be able to exemplify this. And for me personally, um, we talk about it here often at FCC in these, in these terms, but right, it, it's this idea of an intimate devotional life. That through an intimate devotional life, you can actually be positioned to be so deeply rooted in God that no matter what comes your way, that God's life is still just flowing and coursing through your veins. And for me, that looks like daily uh, striving to spend time in God's word, opening the Bible and seeking to know God more, and then talking to him about it, just praying, having a conversation with God about who he is and what he desires for my life. That's a huge piece to the puzzle. So remaining in Jesus really begins at the point of belief. And then it's this daily holding tight to, to who God is and believing who that is. But, but ultimately, right, the things that we've, we've read about so far is that there's, there's this fruit, right, that, that comes from this life with Jesus. Let me read verses 9 and 10 for you. It says this, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments... You remain in my love, just 
as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Right? This, this tight, tight hold and grasp and belief in Jesus leads us to obeying what he's taught us. And it leads to this beautiful fruit, right? So for me to remain in Jesus is to act. To remain in Jesus is to act. It's to let that fruit grow and to let other people experience it. Jesus is the perfect example of this, right? As he stands on the footsteps of the crucifixion, knowing he's about to die a painful, miserable death. And he did it for us. Let's continue to read verses 11 through 13, because I think this uh, really uh, ties a bow on, on everything that, that chapter 15 is really trying to say to us, and I think it's incredibly profound, right? It says in verse 11, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, talking with his disciples, knowing literally what is about to come, he, he gives them this clear picture like this is, this is what the ultimate fruit that can be produced from a follower of Jesus looks like to sacrifice everything and lay down your life for your friend. I think that Jesus embodies that with every, every breath of his life. But I think when we look at these three things, I think, I think they truly come in order. I think they truly come in order, right? This point of belief then leads to um, this constant dependence on God to believe who he is and hold tight to who he is. And then that sends us out to go and live lives that God has called us to. Uh, many of you guys got to see just a very small snapshot of it just a few weekends ago. It's still fresh for me. We had what we call our D-Now weekend here. We had hundreds of teenagers and adults uh, who were a part of it. And we began praying months and months before. But, but one of our, our prayers for that was that, that this weekend would leave a mark on the Bay Area. That the area that we live and that we go to work in and that we um, run to the grocery store um, in and all this stuff, like literally wouldn't be the same because of what took place during that weekend. And on Saturday, we had over 16 of these mission sites that we had um, coordinated and we sent students and adults all over the Bay Area to simply do good in other people's lives for the sake of, of showing them who Jesus is. And we've seen so much fruit, the fruit that Jesus is talking about here, come from that. And only came because a group of students and a group of adults said, Jesus, you are the only source of life. And I, I have to position myself um, so tightly to you so that you can then flow through me and then produce that fruit, guys. And, and we saw God at work. And I continue to hear stories of how God used each and every one of you guys through that. So I can't help but kind of look at those three areas and kind of examine for myself. I think maybe for a lot of us in this room, there could be some of us here, like that that belief has yet to, to take place. The once and for all of saying, Jesus, I believe that, that you are who you say you are, that, that when you said that, you, that my sins were forgiven, 
that day that you died on the cross and, and accepted that. Right? Some of us, some, some people here need to, to believe that for the first time. There's other of us who, who believe that, but for some reason there's things that have stolen our attention and our gaze. And when we wake up, um, we forget so quickly who God is. And then for others of us, man, we're scared to act. We have this beautiful message inside of us, this prize. And God would say, share it. Go and love people. Like John 15, 13, right? Like sacrifice everything so that people can see who Jesus is in you. So no matter where you're at in that, right, we've all got something that God would say, if I'm the true vine, what would it look like for you to really position yourself and be a branch that allows me to just flow through and see so much fruit, see so much fruit. So I hope that each of us would be willing to consider that today. Which one of those three um, that God would say, man, that, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm needing to position myself more and really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus was the vine. And for those 12 disciples, like very literally, like he was it. Like he was it. They got to see him every day. And they were, they were following him around everywhere because they knew he was the Messiah. But could it be possible, could it be true that today, 2,000 years later, that Jesus is still the vine? And that he is still willing to allow you to position yourself so closely to him that, man, he will flow through you and there will be just this uh, everlasting fruit that could change our area and change the world. So let's consider that. Y'all pray with me. God, thank you so much for this uh, time and space that you have given us. God, to, to read your word, we believe that your word is perfect and that it is good and that it instructs us and it, it transforms us. God, and I pray that as we have, have read your word this morning, um, God, that it, it truly would. God, do not let us leave this place the same way we came, God, because we have encountered you. God, I pray that um, each and every one of us here would consider um, who your son is and consider whether or not we truly believe with everything in us that he is the one true source of life. And that if we can't conclude that today, God, that we would pursue the answer to that question, God, that we would see you here today as the vine. God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.